My guest today is an old friend, Brad Talwar. Uh, he's the founder and CEO of Talent Burst, and we're here today at their headquarters, which is new to me. I haven't been here since you bought the building, so congrats on that. Thank I'm, you. I'm sure it's not that new, but new to me. Um, so why don't we just start off with what is Talent Burst and what do you guys do so we can have a platform to talk from? Yeah, sure. Um, so I started Talent Burst along with my uh, two business partners in 2002. And initially, when we started the business, it was just a technology um, and engineering staffing company, just very plain and simple. We just wanted to fill, you know, contract roles with larger corporations that needed um, contingent workers on short-term project work. Mm -hmm. um, but over the last, you know, 18 years that we've owned this business, it's evolved dramatically. And now we're one of the leaders in human capital transformation, um, and we've got five different service offerings um, combined, which provide a total talent management solution. Mm -hmm. So our IT and engineering um, staffing is definitely one of those five components that we provide. But the other four are essentially management of non-traditional workforces, which are typically fairly large workforces for um, gig economy companies, you know, like the Uber. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, that's adaptive thinking. That's cool. Yeah. So we manage um, large workforces for several gig economy companies, which are essentially household names. Um, in addi addition to that, we also manage workforces um, for large global 2000 corporations that are in non-traditional work environments. So um, think warehouses, distribution centers, supply chain, logistics, mm -hmm. um, R&D, pharmaceutical drug manufacturing, those kind of um those kind of, you know, work environments, which essentially leads to elevated levels of um, workers' comp insurance. You know, people can get injured. Sure. They can get exposed to toxic chemicals, pressurized gases, that kind of stuff. So we help um, our customers manage risk around um, injuries and exposures for their workforce. Um, and in addition to that, we also have a fairly sizable and growing um, service offering around global payroll, where we manage similarly large workforces, but on a global scale in different countries. Um, and Canada, UK, India, Puerto Rico, and Mexico are some of the biggest ones that we manage. It seems like you're doing niche business, but on a, a fairly large scale. Yes, so like, yes. rather than just providing that workforce, you have to for the type of clients you're talking, you have to really actually understand yeah. the needs more than just yeah. like more than a resume read, right? You have yeah. to pretty much know your clients really well. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's riches and niches mm -hmm. and that's what we've learned. And we essentially, um, once we research a niche and if we find that, you know, that's the direction we want to go in, mm -hmm. you know, we like to essentially uh, be the dominant provider in that niche. So if you think of um, global payroll or, you know, managing gig economy customers, mm -hmm. um, managing gig economy workforces, um, we are probably the leader in both of those niches. I wouldn't even, it makes complete sense now that you bring it up that there is that niche, but I wouldn't have thought of that niche. Yeah. That's pretty cool that you guys have gotten yeah. there. So is that, is that part of a, th with you and your partners, has that been a key piece of the business is kind of keeping your eye on areas that are budding or that people aren't servicing yet that you think are going to become something? Yeah. So we really keep our, you know, um, our ears to the ground and 
we just try and always be very intuitive about where you know the the future of work is going to be yeah and um we try and stay ahead of the curve um and we're never comfortable in just doing you know what we're currently doing we're always looking that okay um as th- as the economy evolves how can we evolve ahead of the economy in fact we're you know currently working on you know a huge technical innovation in our industry which is related to how payroll is processed uh for workers mm-hmm. and you know once we roll this out it's actually already live with one of our customers um you know it'll really kind of set us apart from the rest of the industry and and how um you know people view just a very simple process like payroll processing and how by innovating within a very simple process you can actually create a huge differentiation against the rest of you know the providers in that industry well i would imagine that a global company has to adhere to tax regulations and laws for where the people live that they're paying so if they're paying people in 52 different countries then that's a headache right yeah and then you make that headache go away correct just trying yes. to make it so I, my yeah. little brain can understand it. Yeah. And then uh, just to finish setting the scale for Talent Burst. So you've been around for 18, 18 years, years, you yeah. said. And this is the headquarters, but you've got a number of other offices, yeah. right? As So as the business has grown, there's yeah. different satellites or yeah. other locations where they so, service customers? So we have a dual headquarters in San Francisco um, because a bulk of our customers are the big technology names. Uh, so global, you know, 100 off technology. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, we have a large uh, Canadian presence in Mississauga, Ontario, which is a suburb of Toronto. And we have a very large um, operation um, just south of New Delhi in Gurugram, mm-hmm. which is a suburb of New Delhi, essentially. Um, and uh, outside of these, we've got, you know, satellite locations, you know, several different Raleigh, North Carolina, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, um, Los Angeles, Denver. Um, so a lot of smaller sales locations or mm-hmm. customer support locations. But the big hubs that we currently have are Boston, San Francisco, Toronto, and uh, Gurugram, India. So you're kind of keeping on the pulse of where tech companies are growing mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you have to spend a lot of time at the different sites? Do you, yeah. do you get there pretty often? Yeah, so I, myself, I am in California at least once a month. Um, and I'm at least a couple of times of the year in Toronto mm-hmm. and then maybe like once a year in India. But I have two business partners and we kind of um, split some of the travel. Yeah, so that's my, nice. Yeah, so my chief operating officer, who's my business partner, he spends a lot of time in India and he's there at least once every quarter. And then my CFO, he also travels um, to the West Coast as well as to Canada. Actually, he probably picks up the bulk of uh, travel to our Canadian operation. If it's once a month, it's not, well, just, just speaking California, it's not too bad. It must be, is it nice to get out there once in a while? I mean, you know, typically when I'm out there, I'm out there for three days. Yeah. And I think in those three days, there's at least three meetings a day that are packed in. Yeah. Followed by, you know, cocktails or a customer dinner. Right. So it's a really, really busy schedule and, you know, it's definitely not a vacation. No, it's a grind. Um, it's a grind. So, you know, I'm typically sleeping like four to six hours and I'm up East Coast time because that's what my body is used right. to. So I'm up at like 4.30 a.m., you know, and then I, you know, finish up a bunch of my emails, you know, get through a bunch of my work 
And then I go into the office, work through till six, and then, you know, do either a cocktail or a dinner. And I collapse in my hotel bed, you know, at like 10, 30 or 11. Yeah. And not I'm a guess. Back at it. So, yeah, when I come back from the West Coast, I am exhausted and I probably sleep like 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, making up for the last time. Yeah. Um, cool. So now going back in the Wayback Machine, 18 years ago. Mm hmm. Tell me, like, why did why did you found Talentverse? Where did it come from? What were you? Yeah. Maybe start with what were you doing beforehand? <clears throat> so, um, my two business partners and I, Baljeet and Baljeet Deep and I, we um, had worked at another company which was a startup, essentially in the staffing industry as well, um, which was acquired by the parent company for Monster.com in December of two thousand. So, the three of us ran that business post acquisition for Monster or Monster Worldwide mm -hmm. um, up until July of 2002. And, you know, 2002 was a really challenging year for the economy, for the global economy, for the U.S. economy. It was just post 9-11. Um, and, you know, it, well, we essentially started talking about starting Talent Burst six months after 9-11. So wow. it was a really challenging time. Um, you know, we had to kind of think through our business plan, what we wanted to do, but you know, we're entrepreneurs and we thrive in, you know, a challenging environment. Mm. Um, we just didn't want to get comfortable and essentially work for a large corporation where, um, you know, we, we just, we're not being challenged enough or, you know, we didn't feel a sense of ownership. Yeah. Your influence couldn't be as big Correct. as you might want it to be. Correct. So yeah, we wanted, a challenge as well as we wanted influence as well as we wanted ownership um, and a sense of believing and belonging. Mm -hmm. So you were working in the staffing industry. So you kind of had an idea of maybe how you would attack a new, yeah. uh, create a new company to attack a new angle yeah. in doing that and handle yeah. it a little bit differently. Yeah. So monster worldwide, I mean, that's a really interesting, you know, company. Everyone knows monster.com, which mm -hmm. is the, the resume search engine, you know, where you can go post your resume or look for a job, but they had several other divisions. So we kind of had exposure working with multiple different divisions, including a marketing division. They had talent acquisition, which was through uh, the staffing business that we had. Um, they also had a solutions division. They had an engineering division. So we essentially touched each of these different divisions and mm -hmm. we kind of synthesized and realized that, you know, we had a, you know, if we were to take the best aspects of everything we'd learned and combine them, we could create talent. Products. So you kind of, you got to see the big, the big company version of what you wanted mm -hmm. to do and how the different mm -hmm. pieces came together and ran. And then you got to sort of pick the, the best of what you yes. could see and make something new, yeah. but more nimble and yeah. small and your own yeah. and, 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 and try to carve it out. So yeah, that helped us kind of get off the ground. Yeah. Just that specific concept. But once we were off the ground, we really had to kind of innovate every single day just to stay alive. Well, that, that's the way it is, right? People, people always assume that you come up with a business or you have a plan and you know what you're going to do and then you launch your business and that's just the way it is yeah. for the foreseeable future. And yeah. that couldn't be further from the truth, no. right? You, you no. find out immediately that next year you have a different business, even yeah. though it's got the same name, yeah. but you got to yeah. figure out how you're going to service the clients, what the client's changing needs are, mm -hmm. what the industry's doing mm -hmm. differently. You know, oh, it's always new, mm -hmm. which is what keeps me interested. You yeah. know, I need that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, um, you guys were there. 
mm-hmm. and then you're here. Mm-hmm. What about the time in between? Did it take a while to plan? Were you guys meeting in coffee shops and talking yes. about what it should be like? Yes. Tell me about that time. Like what was, uh, were you all working at the time? So you're still, yeah. still so, with the. Yeah. So all three of us were working at, you know, a division of monster worldwide. Mm-hmm. And, um, we, so I wanted to go off on my own and, and start my own business and Adeep and Baljeet, my two business partners, they had talked separately. And then eventually when I kind of told them that, Hey, this is the direction, you know, I'm planning on going myself. Yeah. They kind of shared with me that they also wanted to be entrepreneurs. And then we realized that all three of us had very different skill sets. You know, I had, um, you know, more of the sales business development angle. Mm-hmm. My um, Deep, who's our CFO, you know, obviously brought um, the back end, you know, uh, financials, accounting, um, cost management, payroll, some of those skill sets to the equation. And our third partner, he is really, really strong operationally. And, you know, he kind of gets involved in the in the guts of the business and you know, really is able to build out teams, build our processes, and then execution of the core business model. Mm-hmm. So we felt that all three of us had a very complementary skill set, and that's essentially why we should go into business together. It's really cool. Uh, side note: just I've talked to a few people now that that run their business as partnerships and started them with mm-hmm. partners, and it's funny because in in the news or in business school, um, you always hear about, you know, partnerships ending badly or people not getting along. And so far, every single interview, the people love their partners. It's been long-term businesses that they get along great. Of course there's ups and downs and you have different differences in opinion and you know, how should we handle this? And there's that like, but you'd have that in a friendship, you know, but the fact is that everybody, no, I know they're not all perfect, but everyone I'm talking to has been, thankful and appreciative for the partners that they've had and the way it's helped them take the business forward. I I mean, I don't even have a point in saying that other than it's been, it's really struck me that it's been a, it's a, it's a good way to go and that it provides this support network that you have that, that someone like me doesn't have where I don't have partners. Yeah. So, you know, partnerships just like a marriage, you know, no marriage is smooth. You have to really work at it. There's ups, there's downs, there's good, you know, pluses and minuses, but eventually you have a common goal and you come out ahead. If it was all smooth, it'd be boring anyway. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, so our partnership, you know, we've been through, you know, the financial recession, 2007, 2008, which Mm -hmm. was a very challenging time for us. You know, we started post 9-11, like literally six months post 9-11, which is probably the worst time in in the history of like the world, you know, right after 9-11. There's so much change and it was such a charged time where people didn't even know what to make of their own Mm -hmm. life or identity. Everyone remember those flags Mm -hmm. hanging from every car, which was nice to see that the the symbolic patriotism and, but it was, it was like that day just triggered so much change that lasted a few years. It was people kind of trying to refigure out what it meant to be who they were. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, the U.S. economy itself, you know, and, and I would say a bulk of our revenues come from within the U.S., um, you know, has changed dramatically over the last 18 years from when we started, you know. Initially, we were 100% U.S., and then post the recession, we realized that we were a one-trick pony, which was just the IT and engineering staffing business that we had, and we needed to diversify and have multiple revenue streams yeah. just so that if one piece of the economy, you know, is not doing as well, then we can at least lean on a different revenue stream 
to keep the you know business afloat and right. rolling in, you know in a positive direction um so in 2008 uh, 2009 is when we started our high hazard payroll business and we started with one customer and i think now we've got probably 60 customers all you know global 2000 companies and um it's it's been a a really interesting transformation because at this point you know when we started we were just simply offering a sliver of a solution you know in a in a in a human capital sphere mm-hmm. but now you know we've got five or six different solutions all of which are very complementary and we can provide a total talent management solution to our end customers so when we walk in we've essentially got a solution for different aspects of their business yeah different departments yeah and you know so we're kind of a one stop shop at this point for many of these customers and we really align ourselves with them we partner with them as a management team and again even with a customer you know there's no smooth sailing with them you know nope there's definitely road bumps along good the way good times and bad but we're able to you know work through some of those challenges and you know so far i would say we've got probably amongst the highest retention rates in the industry definitely in the very high 90 percentile um so maybe i would say like 97 98 percentile um i'm never going to say 100% because i'm sure we've lost a couple of customers along the way mm-hmm. whether intentionally or unintentionally it just happens just the nature of attrition and yeah, in, in it's business. business yeah um what was i just going to say Uh, oh yeah, high hazard payroll. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for somebody like me? Yeah, so high hazard payroll is is very simple. It's essentially payroll or managing um p- uh risk around workers comp, you know, insurances or workers comp scenarios that can occur in for example, non-traditional work environments. So like I mentioned a warehouse, a distribution center, um you know, a ma- a, a manufacturing location or you know an r&d location within a biotech or a pharma company so literally where someone might get hurt more than a traditional job yeah might so, get hurt or might die right more than an accounting firm or oh, something oh absolutely yeah. exactly okay. so it literally it's just high hazard i i didn't know if i was yeah. you know working too hard to try to figure out what Now, it was but so it's essentially think of like an amazon warehouse right mm-hmm. um even though we don't manage amazon's high hazard but that's just an example you know there's people that are operating pallet jacks there's people that are Uh, you know operating forklifts yeah you know there's material stacked like sometimes five stories high right, right. one of those pallets falls on you know a worker below they're done um similarly you know forklifts you know can topple people can get injured um run over toes I mean, whatever yeah. it is it's yeah. there's there's, toes, feet, there's things fingers. in movement all day long there's right. there's risk correct yeah so um so that's essentially how we manage it you know we um are able to micromanage certain functions within those workforces um and you know we've partnered with our insurance carriers we've got multiple carriers mm-hmm. that you know carry some of that risk or ensure that risk with us um and you know we provide them as much transparency as possible we learn from them uh we partner with them to provide them as much information you know we conduct safety audits um you know we provide training to the to the workforce whether it's through video or written manuals um you know we just try and make the situation as safe as possible after a while you you got to be a part of their business i mean yeah. that that's that's pretty deep what you do it's yes. not it's not a it's not a you know lightweight service that yeah. you're providing so yeah. i imagine that that probably 
has to do with the high retention rates. I mean, not to take anything away from the customer service and yep. the good job, but yep. it lends itself to if you yes. do a good job, you can keep that piece of business, yes. right? Because you're taking a gigantic headache off of them. Yes. That's right. that's smart. It goes back to, the, like you said, when you got hit with the uh, recession or the economy yep. just you know tanking, we got hit hard too. And to diversify and to not try to fill the void with more sales, not just doubling down on selling what you do, but to, to take a, to take a step back and say, you know, what else can we do Mm -hmm. to mitigate this in the future and move forward? That's a sign of the businesses that do last for 18 years and 20 years, you know, as opposed to three or four, it's, it's not always easy to take a step back and look and think, well, what, what aren't we doing right? You know, what, what, what don't we know? Cause especially when you, when you have the entrepreneurial mindset Mm -hmm. and you're young, Mm -hmm a lot of times you think you know more than you do. Right. And that's a tool at the time because it helps you get started. It helps you have the bravado to, to take some of the steps necessary. And then thankfully we age and we hopefully get smarter and realize all the stuff we don't know. And then we can step, take step back and look at the business and look at your customers and try to figure out, well, what do we have to do differently here? What, what, what could we be doing better? What have we been screwing up for the last few years, you know, and, and just getting by because maybe we were good at the skill Right. right. But we weren't doing, we weren't doing as good as we could by the customer or for the business. Yeah. So backing up again, you guys are still, the three of you are still working at the monster parent mm-hmm. company and you're now starting to talk the three of you yeah. about forming something. You don't know what yet. So how does that, how does that unfold? How do you guys end up? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So essentially one of the first things we did is we wanted to see what domain names were available because we, definitely knew that we wanted a .com mm-hmm. versus a .net. Um, so, you know, I kind of was literally sitting on my couch. And I think back then it was probably VeriSign, which was, you know, one of the domain name registries. Mm-hmm. And I was literally on VeriSign just looking to see what .coms I could get with talent as being part of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure I went through, you know, I don't know, Talent Wave or you know, talent first or talent, everything, talent, anything. Right. Yeah. And then eventually it's funny because there was literally a starburst, you know, candy right in front of me. And I combined the burst from the starburst with the talent. And guess what? It was available on VeriSign. Wow. So literally right then is when talent burst was born because the domain was available. Sure. Even though we hadn't incorporated the company, We'd not done any conflict checks with any secretary of state, but we got the domain. So luckily for us- Off to the races. We were off to the races and it worked out that, you know, state of Massachusetts didn't have another talent burst and Delaware didn't have another talent burst and here we are. Yeah. Well, worst case, you could have sold them the domain. Yeah. There's a business in that too. Yeah. But all right. So- You've got the name, you've Mm -hmm. got the idea, you know, where you want to work. How do things start coming together? You don't just have a, you don't just hang up a shingle and have clients, right? So you guys, the three of you have yeah. to start planning and yeah. tell me about when it was early, like the scrappy days. Cause yeah. there had, there had to have been some. Yeah, it was really, really scrappy. Um, you know, we had, you know, been in the industry at that point for about six or seven years. So we had some, you know, relationships and some networks and some key people that we'd worked with. And essentially it was a lot of back then banging the phone and, you know, sending emails with introductory brochures, you know, literally printing hard copy brochures and sending them, you know, via snail mail um, to prospects and then just kind of waiting back to hear from someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, 
after a certain point, you know, we just kept hammering the phone and, you know, the first person called back and said, okay, you know, maybe I just need a Java programmer. Can you find me one for like three months uh, on a contract? And mm-hmm. that's how we just started going. And, you know, we had, a, you know, a business associate out in, you know, Texas. Um, and he, he'd known us and we were friends. And he was someone that said, all right, you know, I, I always need help with, you know, recruiting engineering talent and Texas is such a booming state, you know, back then and even till today. So, you know, I just have so much business. I need you guys to help me out. If you can, it'll be a win-win for us. And he was one of the first guys that really, you know, kind of believed in us and and helped us. And then, you know, as luck would have it, um, you know, maybe six or 12 months after we'd started Talent Burst, I get a call or maybe it could have been, you know, early days through LinkedIn or Facebook or one of the social media platforms. I'm not sure how, but he connected with us and said, listen, I'm working at essentially, you know, one of the leading transaction processors, you know, um, in the world. Um, And I need, you know, two very specialized transaction processing developers. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, once we started working with him, we were able to get a contract with this company. It's a, you know, multi-billion dollar company. Their logos on every single credit card out there. And um, that was it. Once we had that, you know, contract, we just started working very closely with, you know, this transaction processor until today. Well, that's really specialized too. So that sounds like mm-hmm. it was a bit of luck and a bit of hard work that opened up a door to yeah. a specialized workflow where you could yeah. actually have a niche, right? Is that? Yeah. So we, even till today, I would say on the staffing side, at least 40 to 45% of our customers are in financial transaction processing, very specialized. So we essentially work with a lot of oversight. I mean, it's a, you have to yeah. be very careful in that. Yeah. Realm. So, so we, so yeah, there's definitely, you know, compliance and regulation and stuff, but a bulk of the work that we do um, or our employees and contractors do is within development of systems for settlement systems or credit card systems or money transfer systems um, or banking systems. Um, so I think we've touched almost any kind of network or transaction processing platform that's out there. So, and that you said that 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 lucky break essentially came, say six to twelve, or let's I say think it was more like twelve months. Twelve months. So, for that first year, mm-hmm. were you up against? Were you still working? No, no. Okay, so you guys went out on your own. You yeah. hung a flag, and you were yeah. like, "We're, we're, we're going to do it." So then, were you hitting? I know you were hitting some small luck where someone mm-hmm. would say, "I need someone for three mm-hmm. months." Were you hitting, getting by on that? But were you facing a lot of great? Sounds awesome. Who yeah. who do you work with? You know, were you yeah. getting people kind of like yeah. asking who you are and you, you have to give that, well, we're you yeah. hopefully because yeah. <laughs> we're, we're brand new. Yeah. So, I mean, what we did in that case is we, you know, definitely leaned on the fact that we were key members of a, you know, staffing startup, which eventually got acquired, you know, in a very splashy deal by the parent company of Monster in December of 2000. And, you know, that deal was you know, fairly public, you know, Monster's a public company. So the numbers were very public and they were very proud of, you know, the company that they'd acquired, Mm -hmm. which we had essentially built. And we were able to lean on some of our heritage and some of our track record to essentially counter, hey, who else are you guys working with? And I think that worked well until today, you know, we're really proud of, you know, the company that we built, which was people.com, uh, which was acquired eventually by, you know, one of the divisions of Monster Worldwide. 
and uh, you know the lessons that we learned there it was it was a good learning experience especially for when sure you're, when you're 21 and just kind of getting going you know in the business workforce well and that industry was kind of getting going i mean monster kind of got that going yeah. right as far as digitizing yes. the the job placement yeah. world that was yeah. that was kind of the the beginning of it right so yeah. you you were there as the industry that you're still in today yep. was sort of born and you were, you were part of it. So I imagine you, you could parlay that, but there, there still had to be some people who were like, well, what, what have you, what yeah. have you done? You know, yeah. that, those people always, it's always, it always comes up. It's funny too, because that, that never seems, at least in my industry, that never goes away where you'll get um, a client will come across us and they'll, or not a client, a, a, a lead will call, will come across us and they'll reach out. And when I start talking to them, they're like, so what if it, if it, especially biotech is really bad for us. So what have you done in our space? Mm -hmm. And I always find that to be, I understand where the question comes from, yeah. but it's a misguided question when you're talking to a marketer, you don't, you don't want a specific niche answer. That's the same as everyone else right. in your vertical. You right. want someone that can talk to your consumer, someone yeah. that can craft some messaging or, or an experience that's going to make you unique so that you can sell yeah. more widgets or, or make yeah. more medicine or whatever yeah. it might be. But I always find that weird is the default go-to for like, a you know, the middle yeah. management is, well, what have you done exactly like what we need? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you just have to kind of convince them that, listen, we've got a really good team. We've got a good track record. We know what we're doing. We've got really good customer references. And that should be enough to convince them to essentially hire us or hire you, mm -hmm. you know, for their project or for their work or contract or whatever the case might be. And I think it's pretty awesome that you started the business 18 years ago with your two partners and I'm sitting here with you today and they're both here. You guys are still going, you're yeah. still working, you're still yes. uh, moving forward, you're yeah. still employing people, you're still yeah. servicing clients and you're still working together. Mm -hmm. what, um, what's different, you know, uh, today versus back then about your, your work life? How have you guys matured yeah. into, the, into the role? So the funny thing is, um, I was just telling my wife, I said, in 2019, I think that was the year I worked the hardest. <laughs> so, you know, when you have a small company, you have small problems, big company, big problems. It's mm -hmm. like kids, right? Small kids, small problems, big kids, big problems. Yep. So, um, you know, the bigger Talent Burst has, has become, you know, it's become a very challenging role for us as a management team to, you know, keep the engine driving forward. You know, every single year since inception, we've grown the business. Last year was one of the highest growth years in the history of our company. Nice. We grew almost 30%, um, both our revenue as well as our employee headcount, I think grew almost 50%. Wow. So, um, you know, we employ at this point, literally thousands of employees globally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's challenging because, you know, managing thousands of employees in different states and different countries. Cultures. Cultures, it's a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. And keeping everyone aligned towards a common goal and a common vision of moving forward and essentially delivering the best, you know, total talent management solutions for our customers is a challenge. I'm sure it is. But that at the same time energizes us because we feel we can build something great and we're kind of at least along the, the road towards building something great. You know, IBM wasn't built in a day or any of these companies, Accenture or cognizant weren't really built in a day you know it, it's, no. it's a journey of 20 25 years before you actually you know um make make an impact you know on on either the global economy or the local economy or whatever but that's what we want to do we want to make a bigger impact 
We want to be more thoughtful about the solutions we're providing our customers. We want to align ourselves with them. Uh, we want to partner with them. Um, about three years ago, we started partnering with other companies, some public and some not public. And that's been a huge factor in our growth, our partnering network. So we currently have four very key partnerships. And this has really, really helped us uh, grow our business. In fact, you know, some of the most interesting and fun customers that we've started providing, you know, our service offerings to in the past 24 months have come through these partnerships. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I think is interesting, and it's, it's, you know, totally normal, but I think it's from the outside, people don't get it, especially they don't get it. I mean, I've talked to this with some of the people. In fact, I had one guest who had founded his business, run it for many, many years and then sold it. So, you know, American dream, everything's perfect, must be nice. But when you talk to him about over the years and the management and, you know, strife and good employees and bad yeah. employees and yeah. the employees thinking he's a, a, a villain at times when yeah. they just didn't understand what he was doing. And there's, there's a, so uh, all those words to get back to here you are 18 years later and you still, it's refreshing because you still have your eyes on the prize. Yes. You're not sitting here resting on your laurels. Yes, you're thinking, what is next? You know, the, the team is yeah. huddling up and figuring out what you're going to attack next. And if you, if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be here, right? Talent yeah. wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah. exist anymore. It takes that kind of yeah. grit and de desire. I mean, yeah. you have to want it because yeah. you, you could, yeah, you, you could, you could turn the volume down to low and yeah. just sit back and you probably get a couple more years, but it's not going to keep growing. Yeah. It's not going to keep that advancing. No, we're very, very energized. And, you know, we've had this discussion about what's next for talent burst, you know, you know, should we sell the business? You know, should we just kind of sail off into, into the sunset? You know, where are we going? Yeah. And at this point, you know, we just have a five-year time horizon. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do in 10 or 15 years. It's too far out. Hopefully I'm still alive. Um, but my business partners and I, you know, we've got a five-year plan. We're really focused on the execution over the next 12 and 24 months. We're not letting distractions, you know, there's many distractions. There's you know, all kinds of people that'll call and say, hey, you know, we're here to buy you or I have a customer that's willing to buy you or here's a press release someone just sold at, you know, some insane number. Yeah, Not, That's all the noise, you mm -hmm. know. So we just try and drown out that noise and just stay focused on our business. Yeah, that's great because it's not that easy to do, especially when the <coughs> options start coming up and, and it's, you know, been 18 years, but mm -hmm. you, if you, it, because more options come up, yeah. the longer you've been doing it, the better you do, yeah. the more years you have of growth, the more yeah. of those options float around. Right. And, yeah. and you can't ignore them because you have yeah. to talk about them. So you and the three talk about them and that's really cool. And I'm, uh, that leads me to the, I've been wondering while you were telling me about the, the, the growth now that you've got thousands of employees around yeah. the world and managing all of these people, I mean, I know you've grown into it, but that's still got to seem pretty daunting or crazy when you think about the whole thing and, yeah. and what's next and how do we manage it across yeah. culture and, and, yeah. and language and traditions. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's a yeah. big thing, right? Does, does having the two partners and being here together, does that help you ground? Does that help you to like, you know, all right, if I think about the big picture right now, my head's going to explode. So mm -hmm. right now I'm going to ground and think about how do we handle it from a small yeah. perspective and then grow that and then like yeah. take that company wide? Yeah. I mean, we essentially just focus on any challenge, just one challenge at a time, because that's all you can do. Mm. So you've really got to compartmentalize and just focus on one challenge at a time. And that's what we, you know, are currently doing and what we've done successfully because of, you know, all these different complexities that you mentioned. And every single day there's a new challenge, but 
our goal and our attitude is we will get over it. It's just how do we get over it, and what's the what's the what's the route that'll provide least friction and get us to the end goal. Mm-hmm. And that's typically what we'll do. Is we're we're reasonable people. We try and be reasonable. We try and do right by our employees. We try and do right by our customers. If you do right by your employees and right by your customers, you'll eventually get the right solution. It's amazing how far it'll get you to just yeah. do the right thing. Yeah, it, exactly. it really is. But it's like people have to figure out how to get there, you know, because yeah. they, if you take shortcuts, you think you're going to win. Yeah. And, and it seems like the easy way to do it. And yeah. if you take the easy way out on anything, not just business, but yeah. if you if you take the shortcuts, it doesn't always work. In fact, it usually won't work. And I feel like you don't, you don't really internalize that until mm-hmm. you've had some time to mature and you've had some time to, sure, you tried the easy path a couple yeah. of times. You tried to take the shortcut and you it screwed up and yeah. it, it didn't go well. And then you learn and you grow. And eventually I think you, I don't know, I'm Jack only speak for me, but I look at, I look at the hard way or the right way as the fun way because it's going to provide some resistance. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a little bit tougher to yeah. do. So it's going to feel better when you get it done right. And it's going to put the, the benefit that it yields at the end is so much greater because you don't leave anything in your wake. You're not yeah. hurting anybody along the way. It's yeah. a, you're, you're, you're taking people forward with you, mm-hmm. which I think makes a big difference over, yeah. over time, you know? Sure. So now the company is bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, your roles have changed, mm-hmm. even though they're the same roles, essentially yeah. you guys, the three of you still do the same roles, but yeah. it's, it's a different job. Do you, and you're centered, you primarily in Boston and San Fran. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a lot of companies come and go in the 18 oh, years? Absolutely. So absolutely. I imagine that's a pretty good seat you're at where you're dealing with, cause you deal with a lot of high growth companies, right? Where they don't know how to do what you do and they basically need to plug it in. Some of them probably work. Yeah. Some of them probably some don't do some but, don't. Yeah. Do you get to learn lessons? Do you have enough visibility inside that you can pull some wisdom I mean, out of those things? We try, you know, but sometimes information isn't available to us. Um, but at the end of the day, again, our focus is our own business. You know, we face many challenges. We just, if, if there is a challenge in front of us, we will break down that challenge and figure out how we can get around it and how can we, you know, achieve our goal by, you know, overcoming these challenges. So Nuts and bolts. Yeah. So it's really operational. It's really kind of gritty. It's really like our, we get our hands dirty every day, all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we like it. That's how it's been. And I think that's how it's going to continue. Well, it keeps you connected to the business. So you, you actually know what's yeah. happening and what needs to happen. And that, that's the difference between a company that's got leadership and a company mm-hmm. that doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so in all of that, you've mm-hmm. been doing this for a long time and you started out, uh, we were talking beforehand. So when you started the company, you were single, right? Yes. And now you're a married man with kids. Yes. Um, I want to talk about that life as a business owner versus as a person with a job, um, not one better than the other, but they certainly impact your life differently if you have a job or if you, if you have a business. So what were the, what were the early days like as far as impact on your, you know, your personal (laughs) life, your, uh, what was it, what was it like? I mean, it's, it's a change, right? So when we started the business, I was single, you know, shortly thereafter got married. Um, you know, we didn't have kids for a couple of years, but then, you know, kids came along and, they happened to come along right at the peak of the you know financial crisis, 07, 08. Mm-hmm. My daughter was 07, my son was 08. And, you know, it's just challenging because our business was basically almost bankrupt. And, you know, you have two small kids, you got a spouse, and 
you know, you have to grind through it every single day and just overcome each and every challenge, mm-hmm. including several of our customers at in 0708, essentially when chapter seven, which is dissolution, mm-hmm. there's no bankruptcy even because their doors closed, done. Yeah. So, you know, we had, we had to write off a bunch of our receivable as essentially bad debt that we were never going to recover. Um, but we worked with our banks and our lenders. We had a couple of lenders at the time and we essentially had to restructure, you know, how we did our business, how we managed our customer population. And since then we've only focused on working with the large, you know, fortune 500 global 2000 type companies. And one of the primary reasons from it, oh, the, that those are the only companies we work with is because of the quality of receivable. Mm-hmm. We like to collect 100% of all our receivable. And we feel that, you know, if it's a publicly traded or a larger, you know, Fortune 500 type company, they always pay. Okay, they might mess up on, you know, processing an invoice, but eventually they'll get it right and you will receive your funds. Yeah. So that's one of the primary reasons that we've only focused on the large corporations. Yes, occasionally we'll work with a startup, but it's really not our preference. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, we probably have no companies that are in startup mode that we work with. Maybe once or twice a year, someone will come along because of a relationship with someone internal to Talent Burst. And just purely because of that relationship or on a personal level, we'll try and service that customer. Yeah, I I'm, I feel the same about startups for the most part. What I, what I like per, for fun to work with is I like to work with industries that are well-established but under new challenges or new stresses because of the way things are changing or societal pressures. So, like, we work with a lot of outdoor or adventure sport brands like mm-hmm. snowboard companies mm-hmm. or mountain biking companies or archery companies. Mm-hmm. And you learn all this stuff about the archery or hunting business being on a decline since mm-hmm. the 70s. So there's all these brands that don't know don't know what to do with a disappearing um, mm-hmm. client base or mm-hmm. snowboarding. Snowboarding right. came on out of the seventies and eighties and nineties. It was just like huge, yeah. you know, the coolest sport and I'm a snowboarder. So I love it, but you know, it's in the Olympics. It's probably the right. most watched section of the Olympics. It's, it's got all this um, uh, great fanfare, but then the industry's like slowly dying because yeah. nobody's putting their kids on snowboards anymore because it went from a thing you do on the mountain for fun to the X games and big air and scary and moms and dads are like, they're just not putting their kids into it. Cause right. it looks like this crazy extreme sport when in reality, most people don't ever ride like that. And it's not, right. but they did it to themselves because all of their marketing, all of their outward voice was that. So I like to get into those types of places where they're established brands, but they're hungry again because right. something changed in their, in their right. landscape. And then you get to work on problems, but you get to work on problems that you can actually work to solve as opposed to a startup where they, everything's good and gung-ho charge forward. And then like three days later, they're like, Oh yeah, it's over. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Which has happened. You know, cause I, there's an allure to startups, you know, cause there's a lot of energy around it and there's a lot of excitement and it's usually a a really charismatic person Mm -hmm. or team. And Mm -hmm. it's, you, you, you want to, there's a buzz to it, but there's also a certain, it takes, it takes from you if it's not, if it doesn't go exactly as it should. So enough about me, go back to, now you start to have kids and you're running the business. Mm-hmm. How does it, do you have to adjust the business? Do you have to adjust your life? A little um, bit of both, you know? And you know, I don't think we adjusted the business really. It just, the business became a whole lot more serious because we had no outs. Mm-hmm. We couldn't fail, right? essentially. Um, so, you know, we worked harder and, you know, 
as the business grew, you know, one downside of, you know, a business that's growing, especially on a national or an international level is, you know, the travel associated with meeting customers or meeting employees. So, you know, me personally, I try and balance the time I'm not at home. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm shaking hands with a customer or, or I'm at a trade conference or I'm in one of our offices with the time that I'm back home. So, you know, my goal is <laughs> if I can try and achieve, you know, at most be out of, you know, Boston area for maybe 72 hours or, you know, maybe three or four days at most in a, in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, just stay a little closer to the microphone. Yeah, sure. Um, I just try and, you know, not be away from Boston more than three or four days a month. That's it. Mm-hmm. If I so you are home. so you design the yeah. way that you're interfacing with the business around the way you want to interface yeah. with your family. That's kind of what I was getting at yeah. and asking about because it seems like um, as times change and families change, mm-hmm. priorities change. Mm-hmm. But I've watched it in like in my own life. Yeah. I, I when I got to that same point as you and having kids and mm-hmm. coming out of the economy tanking and yeah. changed my business dramatically and it was hard and we we almost died and looking at what was important to me, I also changed the way that I operate the business too, in that I, I look at part of the way I pay myself is in time and it's time with what's important to me, time with the family, right. time with, you know, the things like that. So I look around and so you work hard, right? And you yeah. do a lot of travel and you're out and a, but, but you do still get to shape what you're doing so that you can, when you get back from three days of travel, you can spend a little extra time with the family and you can, you can do that. And I, I think that's a great thing about owning a business. And I think a lot of business owners don't do it. Um, not a good or a bad, everyone does things differently, but they get caught up because if you let it, it can consume you and you can always go. There's always something to do. I could put in 24 hours a day, yeah, never and never stop. And I could be busy. Right. But that's not, that's not what I want to do. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, we, we try and, and I'm saying we, because my partners and I, we, we all have families and we just really try and balance work life with family life. Do you help keep each other grounded in that? Help you remind to, right? each other? Yeah, yeah that's you what I'm wondering. To, because at this point, it's a common goal. You know, if I fail, they fail and vice versa. And, you know, with the responsibilities that we have towards our, you know, families, it's failure at this point is not really an option. Mm-hmm. We, you know, were too deep in it. Um, not to succeed. Well, plus you've worked for it. You know, like you got there, right? You were on the brink. You were, you had bad mm-hmm. times and, and you mm-hmm. said, no, we're going to fight our way back yeah. from this and, and keep come back. So yeah, yeah, it's not, failure is not an option. It's driving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that's a mindset. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a mindset to not give up and to keep going, sure. which isn't always easy and right. it's tough and it's not for everybody because mm-hmm. it's, it's, I, I have friends uh, that are, you know, professionals and have great jobs and earn great incomes and they like what they do. But a lot, I have some friends that their job dictates most anything that dictates their time um, more so than mine, where they don't have flexibility. They don't get to engineer their Mm -hmm. day. And the, some people have, you know, seems old school now to think about it, but jobs where being there matters. So they're there, you know, they're at 7 a.m. They're there till right. 8 at night. They're, they're always being seen, even if right. it's not productive time. But that's, it's not just not productive yeah. time. It's unproductive yeah. time. You're, you're, you're wasting part of your life. And I, I, 
I hate seeing that. And I, uh, that is something that I feel really thankful for as being a business owner that I do get to engineer my day. I get to, yeah. I get to adapt to whatever changes in life. I know we both have uh, hockey playing sons and that took some re-engineering because mm-hmm. hockey out, like we were talking yeah. beforehand, I didn't know much about hockey. I was never a hockey player and mm-hmm. I didn't know that hockey was like having a business. It takes over your, your whole life yeah, to have a hockey kid. Sure. Uh, but I'm glad that I'm, I get to work around it. And my wife and I do split some duties and, and, you know, divide and conquer, but it's nice to be able to be at the games and yeah. be at the practices, suiting them up. And it's, it's a, it's a cool thing to watch. And I wouldn't want to trade my business, right? Cause I, I love what I do and the work is exciting and it's like we talked, it's always new, but I also wouldn't want to trade my family life and being there and seeing my kids go, yeah. go from riding, you know, bicycles with training wheels to being mine's a hockey goalie. And it's, yeah. it's just so cool to watch yeah. them be like little humans interfacing with the world. And yeah. that, that's something that keeps me grounded in my job and go back to work every day. And I, I can admit my business is 19 years old. And when I was starting it, I did not always have the correct mindset. I didn't always think of customers first. And I can honestly say, like I sit down at my desk in the morning and think about, um, that's how I start the day is what's going on with all the different clients who needs attention, Mm -hmm. who, who haven't Mm -hmm. I spoken to this week? Who do I need to talk to? And I want to, because they're the people that enable me to have the life that I have. And I didn't have that mindset, you know, 19 years ago, 15 years ago, I, I was, I was more just driven by go, 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 what's next. And I think that was a huge flaw in the way that I ran the business was, was always thinking about what's next and growth and sales and not thinking, not that we didn't do a good job. We did, but it would lose shine right? and it shouldn't. It, I mean, at least now I, I like to go back and extra service every client because I just, I don't know. It sounds weird, but realizing that they're the ones who give me the freedoms that I do have. Right. And I, and I have a lot of freedom that I enjoy. And that's like being here with you in the middle right. of the afternoon. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to take this time and go explore conversations with like-minded people. But if I worked a nine to five, it would be pretty hard to do yeah. this. You I know agree. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the good byproducts of being an entrepreneur. You control your time. You're, and if you are able to balance your family life with you know, your personal commitments, it can, it can actually be a really good equation overall. Yeah, it really can. Um, the, something I ask everybody, and it's not like a question that has anything to do with like a theme of the show, but I like to hear from people what their experiences. So if you go back the 19 or 18 years to Brad, when he's in his twenties and starting the business, what have you learned along the way? Like an, is there one thing you could say you just didn't see coming about owning a business when you were someone yeah. who was deciding you wanted to be someone who owned a business, you know, versus now that you do? Yeah. So have you seen Wall Street? Mm-hmm. Okay. One line typifies what it is to be an entrepreneur, and that's money never sleeps. So it's a 7 by 24 by 365. I feel like if I'm awake, I'm working. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a Monday or it's a Saturday or it's Super Bowl, or whatever the case might be, either I'm getting text messages, or I'm planning for the next meeting or presentation, or I'm traveling somewhere, or one of our employees is, you know, reaching out with a query or, you know, a question about something. And it's not, you know, like being in a corporate job where you can shut off at 5pm Friday and just wait for your paycheck on Monday, right? You know, you have to make things happen, whether it's a weekend or whenever it is. So 
it's basically being on a hamster wheel nonstop for for 18 years and you know i'm happy to be on that wheel because i enjoy what i do mm-hmm. um and i love what i do but you know my i tell my kids the same things you know money never sleeps so you just got to keep going mm-hmm. like just never stop yeah and there's there's odd asks of your time and it's not there there's things that have to do with the job specifically that you have to do like you're giving examples of odd times and things norm, that people wouldn't have to do like for example we have a client that merged with a publicly traded company and the announcement of the new organization was coming out January 1st at 8am so we had built a website for them and everything was ready to go and we had to be up and launching and testing and doing the site at 7am new year's morning yeah you know so i was yeah. i was at a friend's house that we had slept over with the kids and the kids are friends with their kids and so we had a whole nice new year's eve party night but the whole time in my head is thinking about the launch in the morning and being yeah. ready for that and then while the whole house sleeps i'm up in the corner yeah. uh you know on my laptop overseeing the launch of the yeah. site making sure it goes smooth and i don't i don't mind at all it was yeah. i was happy to do it it was fine it's just it just comes you know with yeah. the territory yeah we had a similar experience um this jan jan 6th i think was a monday and two of our largest gig economy customers that we'd worked with through 2019 were going live with a fairly large population on the 6th which was a monday so essentially my team had to work through christmas and new years to make sure we could take hundreds of these employees live make sure that we were able to record their hours we were able to pay them we were able to manage their benefits yeah. accurately on the 6th of jan or starting the 6th of Jan. Right. So, yeah, we work straight through Christmas New Year's as well. Yeah. It's funny cuz I always see uh, part of the differences just alluding to what you were saying. It's not always the work or like taking a website live or or a, a human capital instance. It's but it's always it's the thinking I think is in your head too. So if you're not uh, it could be Saturday night at 10 o'clock or it could be anytime, but you're, you're thinking about that presentation or you're thinking about that client need or something that's, that, that has to happen or isn't happening and needs to happen or, but it seems like it's always, it's always in your head. It's always, yeah. it's always with you because, because you care. I mean, yeah. I, and I'm, I don't, I don't say that like people with a, uh, a normal job don't care. Of course they do. And there's people that take great pride in their work. I just can't speak to that. that it's right. been a long time that I've just been a business owner. So all I know is that, it's never truly not in my head. It's always, right. it's always there. I could be watching a hockey game, my son's hockey game, but something's going to, I'm going to be thinking about right. something also about something be. I need to do, or uh, even, even something as trivial as an email I need to respond to that I, that yeah. I, you know, but I'll be thinking about that. Yeah. I'll be thinking about what That's I need to say thing. and who I need to talk to and little, little things that, that, that consume you. And it's it consumes the wrong word. Little things that take up part of your brain. At, at all times because consumes a negative connotation and I don't feel negative about it at all. It's just part of my DNA. It's part right. of what I do, but it's also the same reason why you'll never get a vacation responder from me <laughs> to a client. Yeah. I'm never on vacation. Yeah. I go on vacation, but if, if any communication comes through that needs me on it, I'm on it. I'm, you know, exactly I'm, I'm going to be, in, I'm going to plug back in. I'm going to be involved. So I try to, I try to balance it. Like if I'm on vacation, I won't, I won't be on my phone 24 seven, but yeah. there's a window every few hours yeah. where I'm going to check it and make sure that yeah. there's nothing that needs me to address it. And if I do need to address it, I'm going to address it. Yeah. And that, that, that's not, some people would look at that as like prison, but I, I, I couldn't walk away from that. I, that's, I, I, I'd rather know that's something's broken 
than not know if something's broken. That's an entrepreneurial mindset that you yeah. have, which is very important. And again, that's the same concept of money never sleeps, right? Like, because you never let your clients know that you're on vacation, mm -hmm. you're constantly working, which is good. Now you can take your vacation while you're at it. Yeah. But, you know, if you have to attend to something on your phone or, you know, make one quick call, I think that can that can really make a, a positive impact on your, on the overall experience that your customer might have. Huge. And I'm lucky in that my wife has always been really supportive. I don't get any flack from her on it. If I have to like, um, we, we have a, a client that I, that I love. It's just like a cool client. They're a snowboarding company, a global snowboarding company that I always wanted. And they kind of, you know, popped up and needed something while we're on vacation and we're on vacation at, you know, uh, in a, like a remote location with no cell service or right. very bad cell service. So I basically had to pack up the car, drive to the nearest Starbucks, which is probably 45 minutes away or nearest coffee shop. I don't know if it was a Starbucks, find a place with Wi-Fi in order to sit down in the corner and end up having a meeting with these guys in Germany. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's wow. on the time change. So it's just all this stuff that I think that it didn't, didn't cross my mind to say, uh, no man, I'll be back in two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Let's talk then. That's yeah. just, it was, you know, Go yeah. time. All right, gotta go. Absolutely. And and she was just, all right, cool. You know, good luck. See you when you get back. And the kids yeah. are like, good luck, dad. You know, they, yeah. they, they don't give me yeah. any shit over it. It's more uh, yeah. support, which is rare. I don't think, well, it's just that they get it. You know, it's a, they understand what it takes to come along with They're also having the freedoms. They're an entrepreneurial family. They really are. They really are. My kids have their own business. I, we started a little um, website. My, my youngest drew the logo and everything and they sell, oh, wow. it's a drop ship company. They have their own e-commerce website. We make skateboards that we learned how to make together in the garage, like literally make them, but they also drop ship um, like adventure sport gear uh, through their e-commerce store that we pick out and we'll source from China or either, either from a, like a drop ship service or we'll actually source products from China and design them, put a logo on, put them in the store. So the kids have been learning uh, wow. to be entrepreneurial because my dad did that. Well, I didn't have a business like, well, it's just because it was different times. There was no such thing as a website when I was a kid, right. but I did have my own, like <laughs> when I was a kid, my dad let me use his lawnmower and I could mow the lawn right. and he would pay me to mow the lawn. And I could also drag it around the neighborhood and mow other lawns if I wanted right. to. And he always, my dad was an entrepreneur too. And he always had instilled in me, you know, do you want to work for others or do you want them working for you and think about your life right. ever, ever since a young age, think about how to plan things. And my first, I, when I went, I went to um, Babson for grad school, which is an entrepreneurial business school. And when I went, you're supposed to write this big, long essay about uh, how you'll be an entrepreneur or what you do as an entrepreneur, which is funny because there was only like three of us that actually owned businesses in the whole cohort. Most people hadn't, hadn't owned one yet. They were there to become entrepreneurs. Okay. But I wrote my essay that when I was like, eight, my dad let me drag around a lawnmower and I went around my neighborhood and I got like 20 or 30 houses that would allow me to mow their lawn for 20 bucks. And then I hired neighborhood kids to mow the lawns for 10 bucks. And I ended up not mowing any lawns, yeah. but I had a nice little landscaping company when I was like eight or nine years old. Nice. And my dad, he didn't see that coming, but he, he thought it was awesome. He thought, he thought that was like the, yeah. you know, the best way I could have handled him giving me the mower and saying, go make some money. Yeah, that's basically entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship 101. So I want to do that with my kids, but in the in the digital age, not right. that there's anything wrong with mowing lawns, but I mean, they can go mow the lawn too, yeah. but I wanted to to help them with that. So anyway, I got way off topic, but I thought it was cool that the kids are running their own little yeah. website and we have fa family meetings and talk about what should we get in there? What should we do with the business? That's, what's next? That's great because those are the building blocks that they can then build on later on. Yeah, I'm hoping. 
I'm hoping they do. If they, you know, I don't, if they like it, I'm not saying that I don't think my company would be like a legacy business or anything. Cause they'd have to really be into what I'm into in the, in the way of customer interface development, which is a little nerdy and probably not too interesting to them, but I hope to plant the seed because I right. think it's a beneficial life because it, it makes a difference. It impacts yeah. things. It empowers you to do what you love, but at the same time, balance the people that you love. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a good way of looking at entrepreneurship. It is. And it, it, it provides a balance, even though from the outside, it can look like it's not balanced because right. it can look like you're consumed, but I don't feel consumed. You don't look like you feel consumed no. just because it doesn't go to sleep. Doesn't mean that it's taking over. Right. Right. We're still driving. And I think that's what keeps me interested. You know what I mean? And that, that and making, making a difference, which sounds silly because I'm a marketing guy, but I get to touch so many organizations right. that, uh, so I indirectly have a play. Like right now we have a company, uh, a, a client that makes products that are really well suited to um, helping with the coronavirus issue. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we've been, you know, on fire for a couple of weeks, putting together plans and, and working with it, not to capitalize on the problem, but to build, we've been building consumer education around stopping the spread and, and different tools that are available to first responders wow. and, and public transport systems and whatnot, because they sell some of these things. But yeah. we've been focused on creating content around best practices, not, not just sales content. So indirectly, I'm, I'm having a hand in that and trying to help yeah, stop something absolutely. that's pretty bad, you know, and yeah. it, so it feels pretty good. And I get to ramp up and get all excited and try to make a difference. And then in, you know, in a month I'll be off to something else because yeah. something else will come up. Yeah. That's what keeps, keeps that's, me, me that's interested. Really interesting. Good to know that. It's cool. Yeah. It's, 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 I feel lucky to get plugged into yeah. that sort of thing and, and try to figure out how to help. Absolutely. It's interesting because a lot of those companies, these guys are brilliant engineer geniuses, but they don't know how to market. Right. They don't know how to make a person notice or get involved or what's, you know, the with them, what's in it for me from the client standpoint, mm -hmm. they don't know how to get, they don't know how to turn what's amazing about what they've done into that message that someone says, Oh, that's the right, right. thing for me. And there's, right. there's a gap in between there where luckily we get to help. Right. Right. No, that's really interesting to know. Yeah. It's, well, it's fun. It's interesting. Yeah. And just like that, we are over an hour already. I oh, want to, wow. I want to be respectful of your time and, uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about? I'm, I'm, no, I, I don't need to go anywhere, but I don't want to take up your whole day when I know I asked for an hour. No, I think this is, you know, this is good. You know, it's um, entrepreneurship. You know, it's the, the more you embrace it, you know, you can really be successful because the longer you stick with it, the more lessons, you know, you kind of learn and you're able to kind of extract the best lessons from your mistakes over the past, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years and then just build upon those. So I really feel like, you know, even though I've been doing this for 18 years, now we're getting into, you know, a sweet spot where we're able to kind of leverage our knowledge base, leverage our experiences, and hopefully build something that's lasting. It seems like you are. I mean, just from the outside, plus from knowing you guys back in the day where you had, I mean, years ago when we met, you had this same vision. You yeah. had this same calm focus on what you wanted to achieve okay. with the company and where you were going. And it struck right. me then and it strikes me now it hasn't left the building. Right. And that's cool because in a lot of places that, that sort of focus doesn't even last five years, never right. mind 18. Right. It's, it's uh, kudos to you and to the partners well, for keeping you. it together. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, congrats on all your success as well. Oh, thanks. Um, hopefully we can do this again and talk yeah, about where sure. things go in another few months or another few years Maybe and we can like keep, keep months, the conversation yeah. going. Yeah, I'd love absolutely. to hear what's, what's coming for Talent Burst and what's next that you can't tell us yet about uh, 
in the gig economy and in yeah, some of the new products. Yeah, some of the new stuff that we're working on. But maybe next year, same time, we can we can pick up uh, version two of this. That'd be awesome. And maybe in the meantime, we'll run into each other at some hockey games. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs>